You are now listening to my dad's podcast. Yeah, just when you think you figured it all out and were comfortable with a certain treatment algorithm, something comes and messes it all up. Like the new ACOG GBS treatment guidelines in labor released July 1st, 2019. Let's talk about that in this episode. All right, team, let's get right into it. We're going to be covering the ACOG Committee Opinion number 782, released July 1st, 2019. There are some changes to the prevention of GBS, early onset disease in newborn, the antibiotic prophylaxis that we give in labor. There are some changes to the algorithm, and we're going to cover those briefly in this session. Remember that group B strep is a leading cause of newborn infection, the primary risk factor for neonatal GBS, early onset disease, is maternal colonization of the GU tract and the GI tract with the bacteria. About 50% of women who are colonized with GBS will transmit the bacteria to their newborns. Vertical transmission usually occurs during labor or after rupture of membranes. Now, in the absence of intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis, 1-2% to of those newborns will develop GBS early onset disease. Other risk factors include gestational age of less than 37 weeks, being very low birth weight, having prolonged rupture of membranes, having intramniotic infection, young maternal age, and maternal black race. The key obstetric measures necessary for effective prevention of GBS early onset disease continue to include universal prenatal screening by vaginal and rectal culture, correct specimen collection, and correct processing. Now, ACOG now recommends performing universal GBS screening between 36 weeks and 0 days up until 37 weeks and 6 days. Now remember, we have been slowly pushing up or pushing back the time of collection Originally, it was 34 to about 35, and then it moved from 35 to about 36. Now we're at 36 weeks and zero days to 37 weeks and six days. All women whose vaginal and rectal cultures at 36 weeks and zero days to 37 weeks and six days who are positive for GBS should receive appropriate intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis unless a pre-labor C-section is planned and they are intact membranes. Now, although a shorter duration of recommended intrapartum antibiotics is less effective than four or more hours of prophylaxis, two hours of antibiotic exposure has been shown to reduce GBS vaginal colony counts. So remember, the goal is four hours or more, but two hours of antibiotic exposure still has some benefits. Now remember, of course, that OB interventions, when necessary, should not be delayed just to provide four hours of antibiotic administration. The committee opinion also reminds us that the validity of a result is valid or timed for five weeks. In other words, if a GBS test result is negative at 36 weeks and zero days, then the patient can be assumed to be GBS negative up until 41 weeks. Again, five weeks validity. If the patient remains 
pregnant after the five weeks, then consideration should be given to recollecting the culture. All right, so we have three main changes in this committee opinion. The first is the timing of collection that we've already discussed. The second is who actually qualifies as a candidate for intrapartum prophylaxis, and we'll cover that next. The third has to do with the dosage of vancomycin, which the committee opinion reminds us should be weight-based. However, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Before we get into changes number two and three, a quick review of the basic science of GBS, because I know you just really wanted to hear that. GBS, also known as Strep A. galactiae, is a facultative gram-positive organism. Remember, group B strep is a physiologic component of the intestinal and vaginal microbiome. Now, the gastrointestinal tract is the reservoir for GBS and source of genitourinary colonization. Now, colonization can be intermittent, transitory, or persistent. The prevalence of vaginal or rectal colonization in pregnant women is anywhere from 10% to 30%, and this prevalence has been reported to be higher in black women and may vary by geographic location. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about who actually qualifies because there's been one new twist to this for intrapartum prophylaxis. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's talk about who actually qualifies for intrapartum GBS prophylaxis. We can think about this in three different boxes. The first box has to do with maternal history. Any woman who has a previous neonate with invasive GBS disease automatically will receive prophylaxis. In other words, culture is not even needed because that history will supersede every other test that's done in future pregnancies. She was forever called a carrier. The next box has to do with indications from the current pregnancy. For example, a positive GBS culture obtained at 36 weeks and zero days or more obviously requires prophylaxis. Now, unless a cesarean delivery is performed before the onset of labor for a woman with intact amniotic membranes, in that case, GBS prophylaxis is not needed even though she has a positive GBS culture. In the current pregnancy, another indication is having GBS bacteria during any trimester of the current pregnancy. We'll cover GBS bacteria briefly a little bit later on in this session. The third box has to do with intrapartum risk factors. So again, the three boxes of who qualifies for GBS intrapartum prophylaxis has to do with number one, maternal history, two, current pregnancy indications like a positive GBS culture or GBS bacteria. And then the third is intrapartum risk factors if a culture has not been done. Let's talk about these. Intrapartum if a woman has unknown GBS status at the onset of labor 
and the culture was either not done or the results are unknown, and has any of these following, then antibiotics are indicated. First, any preterm labor that's going to happen less than 37 weeks and zero days requires antibiotics. Next is amniotic membrane rupture greater than 18 hours or more. Now remember, we're talking about in women who do not have a GBS culture or a GBS culture result. Third is intrapartum temperature of 100.4 or higher. Now, in this case, it doesn't just require GBS coverage, but requires treatment for presumed intraamniotic infection, which is usually AMP and gentamicin. Third, those patients who have intrapartum nucleic acid amplification test results that are positive for GBS. In other words, if a culture was not done previously, but rapid testing in L&D shows that the NAAT, the NAT test, is positive, they get antibiotics. Next, intrapartum NAT test results that are negative, but the patient develops other risk factors like She's less than 37 weeks of gestation, or she has rupture of membranes greater than 18 hours, or if she has a maternal temperature, then that supersedes the negative NAT test and antibiotics are given. So let's be very clear. There is a difference here between having a negative GBS true culture, which is negative, and having a negative nucleic acid amplification test. Because nucleic acid amplification tests can be, well, just not as specific, then they are outweighed by risk factors. So once again, the scenario is a patient with unknown GBS culture presents labor and delivery, and a rapid nucleic acid amplification test is done and shows negative. However, she goes on to develop prolonged rupture of more than 18 hours. That patient now gets GBS prophylaxis. I know, that can sound kind of confusing, but it really isn't if you think about it. The gold standard for GBS determination is not nucleic acid amplification tests. It's the culture, because remember, with the culture, you can also do sensitivities for penicillin and, of course, clindamycin resistance. Now, if you have a intrapartum rapid test for GBS, which is nucleic acid amplification test, and it's negative, then the patient doesn't get antibiotics unless other risk factors occur, like she's less than 37 weeks, has prolonged rupture of more than 18 hours, or develops maternal temperature of 100.4, which in which case you're now treating for intraamniotic infection. Now, unlike a negative vaginal or rectal GBS culture obtained at 36 weeks and zero days, these women do not get GBS prophylaxis regardless of intrapartum risk factors. Let's say that again. If a patient presents labor and delivery with a negative GBS culture done at the right time and she presents within the five weeks of original swab collection, that patient does not get antibiotics even if she has risk factors like being ruptured more than 18 hours. All right, let's get back to the intrapartum risk factors because here's the one that actually changed. Now, according to the College Committee opinion, Patients who present to L&D with an unknown GBS swab or test result, that patient who has known GBS positive status in a previous pregnancy can be considered for prophylaxis. So let's say that again. 
if a patient presents to labor and delivery with no GBS test or no GBS test result. She should be asked if she received antibiotics in a previous pregnancy. If the answer is yes, in other words, if she is a known GBS positive carrier in the previous pregnancy, then she can be considered a carrier again and can be given antibiotics again only if she does not have GBS testing results during this index pregnancy. I know you're scratching your head because you're like, what the heck are we talking about? Let's break this down a little bit more and it's going to make sense. If the prenatal GBS screening result is unknown when labor starts, then we should ask women about their previous GBS colonization. Women who were GBS colonized during a previous pregnancy have a 50% likelihood of GBS carriage in the current one. Women with reported or known GBS colonization status in a previous pregnancy and who present in labor and delivery at 37 weeks or more with unknown culture status in the current pregnancy should also be considered candidates to receive antibiotic prophylaxis intrapartum. Before we get into a quick review of GBS bacteria, a quick word about using vancomycin in patients who cannot take penicillin due to severe allergy. Remember, we're talking about anaphylaxis. The bulletin reminds us that rather than just giving everybody two grams of vanc right off the bat, it really should be weight-based with the maximum dose being two grams per administration. The dose of vancomycin should be weight-based and should be at 20 milligrams per kilo every 8 hours with the maximal dose being 2 grams. The minimum infusion time is 1 hour or 500 milligrams per 30 minutes for a dose of greater than 1 gram. Because more than 80 to 90% of vancomycin is recovered unchanged in the urine within 24 hours of a dose, a baseline serum creatinine level and estimated creatinine clearance are typically recommended before starting VANC. Now, healthcare providers should refer to their institution-specific pharmacy protocol for weight and creatinine clearance adjustments for vancomycin administration. All right, team, as we wrap this up, a quick word about antepartum GBS bacteria, group B strep bacteria, at any concentration identified at any time in pregnancy represents heavy maternal, vaginal, and rectal colonization and indicates the need for intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis without the need for a subsequent GBS screening culture obtained after 36 weeks. Now, group B strep bacteria at levels of 10 to the 5th colony forming units per ml or more, whether they're asymptomatic or not, warrants acute treatment and indicates the need for intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis at the time of birth. Identification of asymptomatic bacteria with GBS during pregnancy, but at a level less than 10 to the 5th, does not require maternal antibiotic therapy during the antepartum period, but it still remains an indication for intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis at time of birth. Once again, if the woman is asymptomatic with GBS bacteria at a level less than 10 to the 5th, 
colony forming units per ml that does not require maternal antibiotic therapy. Now, I know that makes a lot of people nervous because not treating bacteria in the urine makes people uncomfortable. But remember, the college states that it's more of a dose issue with those having bacteria asymptomatically at less than 10 to the 5th being at relatively low risk. However, remember that any time that a patient is symptomatic, that requires treatment. All right, now here's a clinical pearl. If antepartum treatment of a urinary tract infection or bacteria is indicated, remember that clindamycin is not recommended as a treatment for UTI, even in women allergic to penicillin. It is concentrated poorly in urine, metabolized primarily by the liver, and is intended to treat bloodstream and soft tissue, not urinary infections. So while clindamycin can be used as an intrapartum algorithm medication, it should not be used for UTIs. Once again, clindamycin susceptibility results reported on an antepartum GBS positive urine culture are only for the purpose of guiding the choice of antibiotics for intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis, not for treating the UTI. There we go. We have just kind of wrapped up in quick bullet points the committee opinion from July the 1st, 2019. Remember that penicillin remains the treatment of choice for GBS prophylaxis, but in women who are high risk of anaphylaxis and whose culture shows clinda susceptibility, then clindamycin should be given. But patients who have a low risk for anaphylaxis can be given ANSEF 2 grams load and then 1 gram every 8 hours. Now for those who show clinda resistant GBS, then vancomycin should be given in a weight-based dose of 20 mg per kilo, not to exceed 2 grams per administration. <music> 